what we all bring to the table is very, very different experiences. And it's not even just men and women, you know, it's men and women of so many different backgrounds. The more diversity that you have in the mix, the more opinions and the more things that you start to surface. And what I really like is being able to work with men who have a completely different life experience and being able to work together in those ways really allows us to experience different forms of leadership, different ways of working, different ways of communication that are always reflected in the products that we're building. This is Techcetera, a podcast by Ericsson about the intersection of technology, culture, etc. I'm your host, Sarah Goss, and I'm Head of Innovation at Ericsson. There's an abundance of research that shows companies are more innovative and profitable when they have diverse teams and a balanced representation of women in leadership roles. This includes the C-suite. Yet, the tech industry still largely remains a man's world. This episode of the Techcetera podcast brings together two individuals with a shared goal of gender equality in the tech industry, each approaching the challenge from different angles. Today, you'll hear from Sarah Moran, the CEO and co-founder of Girl Geek Academy. Since running the world's first all-women hackathon in 2014, Sarah and the Girl Geek Academy have been on a mission to teach one million women technology skills by 2025. You'll also hear from Gemma Lloyd, an award-winning entrepreneur and the CEO and co-founder of Work180, an international jobs platform designed to empower every woman to choose a workplace where they can thrive. So we might dive straight in. I wonder, Sarah, how do men and women see things differently when it comes to technology? I think, you know, what we all bring to the table is very, very different experiences. And it's not even just men and women, you know, it's men and women of so many different backgrounds that the more diversity that you have in the mix, the more opinions and the more things that you start to surface. For example, I am not a parent but I am an auntie and I play all these other roles in my life. And what I really like is being able to work with men who have a completely different life experience. They may have grown up in different places and being able to work together in those ways really allows us to experience different forms of leadership, different ways of working, different ways of communication that are always reflected in the products that we're building. What I would add, men and women have different experiences of being in a privileged position. I think that's something to be said is that when people say men and women do things differently, part of that is because for so many years, men were the top dogs in society and women weren't, you know? And so sometimes the way that we are treated or treat ourselves or the way that we behave is actually reflected of the gender inequality that's existed for so long. What is really great is when we challenge those stereotypes and break them down, we really start to be our authentic selves. So, you know, I get to be Sarah, the woman that I am, not Sarah, a woman in society as society wants me. And I think we're really moving into an exciting time to be able to explore that. And I feel blessed to be a part of that uh, revolution. It's true that things are changing, but I think we can all remember those times where we were the only woman in the room. Dare I say it, those times still happen today. Gemma, I wanted to ask about your experience of being the only one in the room and perhaps even particularly the boardroom. It absolutely still happens today. And I think the best experience that I've had that really, really speaks to all of this is actually when I was pitching for investment capital. 
when I was going through that pitch experience, there was one example where I was pitching to an investment firm called Giant Leap. They are one of my investors. They are also happy for me to speak about this publicly. There was a big room, I don't know, maybe 10 or 12 investors sitting in that room. And I went through the pitch and then got absolutely hammered with questions. And then at the end, walked out thinking, oh, I did a pretty good job. That was tough. But I didn't think too much of it. I just thought, obviously, when you're raising millions of dollars, you're going to get hammered with lots of questions. Anyway, a week or so later, I get a phone call from Giant Leap and they apologized to me. And they said, along the lines of, you were the only woman who pitched for capital that day. And we asked you way harder questions than we asked any of the men. I was actually really impressed by the fact they had recognized their unconscious bias, that they had the guts to call me and admit it and apologize. And I thought, that is the type of investor that I want on my side. Wow, that's an amazing story of maturity and self-awareness and the importance actually of that in your instance there at a, a company level. It matters too at the individual level if we're going to change anything, doesn't it? Do you have comments, Sarah? Well, only 3% of the world's venture capital goes to women. We haven't raised venture capital at Girl Geek Academy. And a big part of that is that I know that I'd be subjecting myself to a system that 97% of the people that are actually succeeding in that system are men. So it's kind of stacked against me. I wonder when I hear Gemma's story, I'm like, okay, so you went, yeah, they asked some hard questions and you walked away from that, but that wasn't unusual to you. So obviously in the process of raising, that's what women are put through to the point where we think that's normal. And that's what we're sharing with our peers. They're going to ask you really hard questions. But the fact that, you know, we're getting that transparency starting to come out that says, actually, we ask the women really hard questions and maybe not so hard questions of the men. I'm really excited by the fact that maybe starting to raise the hood on that and being able to get some visibility might create some change. What does it take in your view, Sarah, to be a successful woman in tech? <laughs> friends, actually straight up friends. That is absolutely, I, I know the answer to this question. It is absolutely friends. You know, when we talk about what does it feel like to be the only woman in the room, it feels lonely. And I think that's something that it was the most groundbreaking thing that we realized at Girl Geek Academy that what we were doing, everyone was really threatened by us at the start. Like I had a lot of people being like, wow, get in there. And I'm like, I'm just throwing tea parties. I don't really <laughs> understand what's so scary about that to you. And then I realized that it's because that does not happen. And it is about overcoming a lot of those things. So, you know, as an example, Gemma runs a company that also works with women in tech and we both were founded around the same time. When we started at Girl Geek Academy, we had a number of people say to us, ooh, there's that other women in tech company. Aren't you threatened by that? And I'm like, no, because there's a big long list of work that needs to do and the more people who pitch in to do it, the better. And so, you know, I just think that we're at this really interesting time that one of the ways to overcome those barriers and succeed is to befriend other women because society has told us over and over again that we should not be friends and that we should remain in isolation. Gemma, what's your take on this idea of women being pitted against women versus the idea that it's through friendships that we can succeed and all be successful in tech should that be the career we want to choose? Yeah, and look, for the record, I recommended Sarah for this podcast. So there is clearly, <laughs> I'm not threatened. I like Sarah's work. 
100%. I'm all about collaboration and we're stronger together. And if women are working in silos or anyone's working in a silo to tackle a big problem, then it's just not going to be effective. But by the same token, yes, women absolutely are pitted off against each other. And there's actually a really unfortunate thing that happens when You only have, for example, one woman in a company that's put into a leadership role and say, for instance, that woman isn't successful in the role. Then there comes all of this bias around it going, oh, we tried that. She didn't work. Therefore, you know, we're not going to try the whole diversity thing. Whereas what happens when a man isn't successful in a role? Do men never get put up there again? No, absolutely. That doesn't happen. On that point of women in leadership, Gemma, how can workplaces see more women rise to leadership roles? I really love it when organisations have um, facilitated mentoring and sponsorship programs and networking as well. So there was a company who was noticing that the men and this, well, I say there was a company, I think it's fair to say that it happens pretty much across all companies, that men network with other men, (laughs) they take each other out for coffees and beers and kind of socialize. So this particular company who noticed this, they actually set up facilitated networking where they had male executives and then female high potentials come and network together. And what that did is it helped start to build the relationships. And so when those types of opportunities came up, then women were put forward for the role. A lot of the time, when we look at women applying for senior leadership roles, and when we interview them and ask them what they're looking for, they've worked at the big name company. So it's not so much about, are you Disney? Are you Deloitte, for example? It's, where can I go and actually make a really big impact? Where am I going to be heard? Where am I going to feel included? And also, is there a sense of corporate social responsibility linked in with that? We find a lot of women when we talk about the company's CSR initiatives, that's one thing that really attracts them to want to apply for a role. Sarah, you're a self-confessed tech geek, but I wonder in what ways we can talk about tech differently, less jargon, maybe more engaging stories that inspire people and particularly young girls and women into our sector where they can have that impact that Gemma's talking about. What can we do differently? Absolutely. So for us at Golgic Academy, we actually, we identified that this was an issue, that we have all these stereotypes about what technology and STEM means and that breaking those down into actually, what does it look like in real industry? So a lot of people picture that they're going to be alone in the dark in a hoodie, tapping away at a keyboard with, you know, green letters on the screen, that that's what building technology looks like when realistically it's like the three of us here having conversations about what are the challenges that we're facing and what are some of the tools and techniques we're going to use to solve those problems so we we have really looked at well tech is actually about creative problem solving and for us we need three different types of roles or three different types of almost personality types if you wanted to turn it into a quiz but we talk about hackers hustlers and hipsters and so hackers have those technical skills they may be the software engineers and then you also need hipsters who are your graphic designers or your ux and ui people who really think about the design and the flow and the user experience of somebody utilizing technology and then the hustlers they're the marketers They're the legal teams, they're the people who make sure that at the end of the day, if we build a great product, that people are going to be able to get out there and use it. And I think that 
thinking about tech in these many, many different ways and what the actual workplace itself looks like, you realize that it really does break a lot of stereotypes than to what we think when we think of when, of all people, Mark Zuckerberg created Facebook in his, you know, Harvard dorm room. It, it doesn't look like that in reality and out there in the real world at all. Because I'm not a technical person, but I've worked in this sector my whole career. And what never ceases to amaze me is the way in which tech can solve real world problems, problems that matter. And those roles you describe, Sarah, there's a place for all sorts of women and men, of course, too, to be part of that. And I do believe that the stereotypes do pigeonhole people and it seems quite one dimensional in the way in which they can contribute. So what ways can we get the word out there? What ways can we educate people about the diversity of roles? I think one of the things is that we're a terrible industry at marketing to the rest of the world how great our industry is, you know? I mean, I'm even surprised tech pays really well, but if you walk into any high school classroom and say, hey, who wants to be a technologist? They have no inkling of what that actually looks or feels like, you know? We can stereotypically find, oh yeah, what does a nurse do? What does, you know, a vet do? What, what what does that look like? But when we think about a technologist, I mean, even the emojis on your keyboard for tech, you know, it's just the laptop, which could mean anything. And I think that being able to break that open and tell those stories, that's why things like this podcast become really important because it's about communicating, well, actually, when we lift the hood, what does that person do for work? What does that actually look and feel like? And being able to impact younger people with those conversations becomes really important. In a tangible way, some of the things that different companies can do is create a work experience program. This is something that we've been championing for the last couple of years is to be able to say, you don't just have to have one work experience kid. We're happy to work with you to be able to create a program. We will bring in 20 children and we'll let them all learn from each other and we'll run a hackathon as a work experience program at your workplace. So there's lots of ways to sort of break that open, but we are just terrible storytellers, which is a shame because we just, we're always building great things. We have great stories to tell. Let's get out there and show the world how great a career in tech really is. You actually at Work 180, Gemma, you have storytellers on staff and very much what you do isn't just promoting individual employers to women looking for tech careers, but also doing exactly what Sarah is saying, promoting our industry and the variety of roles and the type of career and where it can take them. Can you give examples of what works really well in that case? We ran this initiative called Super Daughter Day, which Ericsson's been involved with as well, where we have primary school aged girls come into employer offices and learn about coding and robotics through fun games. And it was just a it was an amazing initiative. And we brought their parents along with them as well. The idea being that it's great that these young primary school aged girls can get involved with STEM. But what we really need is the parents that actually then see them engage with that and really encourage that as, the, as they grow and as they get older as well. And 95% of the young girls walked away from that, not really having any passion about STEM at all to then going on to say how much they love it and that they could see themselves working in a STEM career. Those unconscious biases that we've spoken about before and gender stereotypes, they start as young as five years old. So that's why we're driving it from the younger generations. Could you comment more on that significance of role models in our sector, particularly as we are trying to increase participation by girls and women? It's incredibly important because I think for many, they may have seen their parents in more, I guess, inverted 
quotations, traditional type roles. And so we really need to elevate women who have had great careers thriving in those tech roles through storytelling, video content, written content, short pieces, so that younger people coming through and also those women who are in other industries that may see it as a new career direction or utilising their cross-transferable skills to come across technology so they can really see not just what it's like because it tech is so exciting it is not the guy in the hoodie in the dark room that's that Sarah mentioned before, but they can see the opportunity in these careers and also that they can also be that person. Absolutely. And Sarah, this rings so true for how Girl Geek Academy all started, wasn't it? Because you looked around and you were like, where are the people who look like me? And oh, well, I'll have to start my own group then. So can you talk about that, the idea of role models and how that encourages more girls and women to pursue tech? Yeah, absolutely. And for, for me as well, I learned to code when I was five years old. Um, so, you know, little Sarah uh, typing away. And for me, the classroom environment that we had was very social because my teacher didn't know how to use the computers. And he said, I don't know, I guess we all figure it out together. And so for me, all of those stereotypes never existed as I came through. And then when I got to about year 10, I was the only woman left standing. And so it then became something different, you know, in those formative years of high school as a 16 year old, having to be that girl in the computer room. I would lie about it to my friends. I told them all I was all going to choir. <laughs> I said, I'm going to choir practice. And instead I'd run the other way and go to the computer labs. I was too ashamed to be known as the computer girl. But anyway, and so for me, like if I had someone that, that could say, hey, that's actually a cool thing to do. She's a cool person. I think that would have helped quite a lot. And so with the role modeling, I think, what has become interesting, you know, as I said, we've been working on Girl Geek Academy for seven years. And for us, it's been important for us to work with women who are older than myself and my co-founders, although we're quite broad in age ourselves. But we've started hiring younger women in their 20s and even down to through our work experience programs, making sure we stay connected with those young girls because they're going to be the role models for the younger girls coming through. I would put to both of you that you are role models for girls and women in tech. I think that we play a really important role to speak openly and honestly about our experiences, to take a step back and actually go, hey, we have done some pretty cool things. Let's recognise that. Let's share it. Let's be generous with our time with other women and, and share our knowledge and support each other. So, yeah, I feel I'm going to say pretty lucky, although obviously it's been a lot of blood, sweat and tears to get here. But I do feel pretty lucky that I get to do something that I'm extremely passionate about and really drive change that has had a negative impact on me in my earlier days. And, you know, I'm making a contribution towards making the world a better place for other women. Well said, Gemma, I think when you are approached and looked to as a role model, it's just confirmation of the difference that you're making to others. So, you know, well done. And Sarah, for you likewise, you know, whether that was in the school, being the only woman in the classroom, let alone obviously starting Girl Geek Academy and the first ever women-only hackathon in the world, like you are a trailblazer, you are a role model. How does that sit with you? And can you tell us a story about a moment when you realised perhaps that you were a role model for other women? Yeah, I mean, it makes you uncomfortable, right? Because you're like, oh, I'm not doing anything other than getting on and solving problems that are right in front of me. 
it was funny because like, as you asked that question, I was like, oh, that makes me uncomfortable. I'm like, but Gemma's a role model to me because, you know, like she's getting out there and doing this stuff. And, and I'm like, well, I guess that's part of it, right? Is that we need role models who are, who are doing the things that we're trying to do because that keeps you going. Sometimes you just look out and go, oh, I don't know, this is a pretty big problem. I, I might just, I could just have another nap, you know, like maybe, maybe today, maybe not. And then I look at what, Je you know, I'll see Gemma do something and I'm like, oh, she's still going. I guess I can keep going. <laughs> I'm tired, but I'm still going. No, I'm yeah, exactly. We're, we're all taking naps on the side, but we're getting there. You know, we get up, get up again. Okay, I think maybe we've come to the main questions that I wanted to ask, but perhaps just to end on, Gemma, is there anything else that you wanted to make remark on that we maybe haven't covered? I think the main thing that I'd like to say is, particularly to any women that are listening to this, if you are working for an employer where you don't feel included or you don't feel like they are taking diversity, equity and inclusion seriously, you don't have to be there. And there are lots of employers out there that will genuinely support you, that genuinely want you there. There's a ton of research that shows that organisations who have more diverse workforces are financially better off. They're more profitable, they're more productive, and they have greater innovation. Ericsson, great one. Uh, might as well uh, make a mention while we're on the podcast. And obviously <laughs> on the Work 180 site, there's, you know, there's lots of employers that are really committed to this journey. So you don't have to suffer like, like I did. Yeah, thank you. And absolutely at Ericsson, we definitely want to attract more women. We're really committed to our partnership with Work 180. It's been fantastic to work with yourself, Gemma, and the rest of the team. And it is making a difference for us. We've got a long way to go, but the point is we're staying the course and it's a priority for our business. And I think that's, that's critical. Sarah, any final words from you? I think that in Australia, we're facing into a point where you know, we now have healthier women in technology programs at different organizations. Work 180 has got in and supported a number of different companies that we're at a point of maturity where we can start, you know, sharing well what works and, and becoming friends across those companies and really, really sharing some of the tactics and the skills for making sure that together we solve this problem. And I think that that's really exciting. And when they say that San Francisco is the best place to build technology in the world, I would argue that perhaps for women, maybe Australia really has the front foot in that respect. Well, thank you so much for your time, Gemma Lloyd from Work 180 and Sarah Moran from Girl Geek Academy. It's been such a delight to talk to you. Very energising conversation, I have to say. The tech sisterhood is real. <laughs> <laughs> I think we need to have a conversation, Sarah, about being friends after this. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to Techcetera, a podcast about the intersection of technology, culture, etc. This podcast was produced by Ericsson. For 130 years and counting, Ericsson has been innovating to deliver the best of mobile connectivity and broadband to billions of people around the world, driving positive change in every sector of our society. To find out more, head to our website at ericsson.com. To guarantee you don't miss an episode of Techcetera, be sure to subscribe to or follow the show in your podcast app. And while you're there, leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find the show. I'm Sarah Goss and I'll be back next episode with more 
Techcetera. 